Review by Jordan X. Reed. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Penned In. This week, I interviewed multi-genre author Gabrielle Prendergast about writing, life, and more. When did you first know that you wanted to be a writer? I always wanted to be a writer. I I assume, I remember as a very young child, before I even knew how to read, asking my mother to staple pieces of paper together and fold them up into a little book. And then I would scribble in them. So I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to write. But I remember that vividly. My mother was a librarian. So there was always a lot of books around the house. And I don't actually remember being read to. I'm assuming that I did, but I, by the time I, my memories are clear, you know, when I was about three or four, I already knew how to read. But even before that, I do remember these little folded bits of paper and scribbling in them because I didn't know how to write. I would scribble lines, like I wasn't drawing pictures. I was scribbling lines. Do you remember the first story you ever created? Yes, I still have it. I started writing a novel when I was about 10 or 11. I was obsessed with Star Wars because the first movie came out in 1977 and I was 10. And that was when that was the first time that I realized that people actually made entertainment, you know, like that I had sort of figured out in my head that an author or a writer or a film director or whatever was separate from the product. So I was obsessed with Star Wars and I read all these. There was no internet in those days, of course. So I had to get the little magazines and stuff about it. So I read all about George Lucas and I read the Star Wars novelization that was also written by George Lucas. And that's, I think, the first time that I figured out that authors were separate from their books, that books came from somewhere. And so I started writing a book. I can't remember now in my head... I. I'd, I'd never wrote it down, but I, in my head, I started writing a screenplay that was basically fan fiction, Mark Hamill fan fiction. And then I started writing something down and I still have it. And, and I didn't finish it. I wrote about probably about 20,000 words or something like that. It's handwritten, of course. And the funny thing about it is that the premise is basically exactly the same as Harry Potter. <laughs> so it's like this orphan who this strange man comes to visit her and tell her that she's a witch and then they have to go off to this castle and yeah it's the basically the same plot that was when I was 10 or 11. Why'd you end up deciding to write for a young adult in middle grade? I guess sort of by accident but I mean now that I look back on it it kind of makes sense but I started out as a screenwriter and I was living in Australia at the time and I and I did a course. I was working, you know, I had graduated college and I was working a job I hated and stuff. And I was like, I need to get back into writing because I wrote a lot when I was in high school and stuff. And I was working with this friend of mine who was a filmmaker. He made short films and he said, you should write a screenplay. So I was like, oh, OK, yeah, maybe I'll write a screenplay. So then I did this course 
And at the time in Australia, all the films that were being made in Australia were like these really sort of dour, dark adult films. And I thought, I'm going to write a kid's film. So I wrote this film called Hildegard, which was ended up being made into a film starring Richard E. Grant. You know, it was a children's film and I really just did it to be different, right? Because all the other people in the class were writing these weird, dark indie films. And I thought, I'm just going to write a really mainstream children's film. And so I did that. And then I kind of, from that, I got work on a couple of children's animated series in Australia. And then that's when the first Harry Potter book came out and everybody was like, this book's a phenomena and stuff like that. And then I was like, well, maybe I should write a children's book. So the first book that I wrote was actually middle grade. It, it was never published, but I did get an agent from that book. And then, you know, by that time I'd kind of pigeonholed myself, but I also did a master's like a, an MFA in that time in creative writing. And my favorite course was writing for children and teens. And I did, I did that course twice. And then I did my thesis was actually this, this middle grade book that was never published. So yeah. But now that I think of it, people ask me, you know, one of the things I get complimented on most with my work is the voice and how authentic it is. Like, how do you write with such an authentic teen voice when you're a middle-aged woman? And I always say it's because I never actually grew up myself. What do you think makes a good story? I always tell my students that the reader needs somebody to follow and a reason to follow them. So ultimately, I think a good story is about creating a character that is relatable and appealing and you know they don't need to be good right they can be terrible people but you still want to follow them but also that character needs to be I think what a lot of new writers make a mistake on is that this idea that a character needs to have a goal right which they do but they think that that's the end of it and I always tell my students that almost more important than the goal is the motivation. Why do they want that goal? If Luke Skywalker wants to deliver the plans for the Death Star, and then he discovers that the princess is trapped and he wants to rescue the princess, he wants to defeat the Empire, essentially. Why does he want to do that? It's not just because he thinks the Empire sucks. It's because the Empire killed his aunt and uncle. And that's that's a super important aspect of storytelling that a lot of People, when they're starting out writing, they sort of skip that. So, yeah, a character with a motivation is, I think, one of the strongest things about storytelling. What is the most challenging aspect of the writing or publishing process for you? I personally am very challenged by always wanting to start new things and not finishing them. <laughs> Most of the time when I write a book, I'm very excited at the beginning, and then I get very disillusioned when I'm writing the middle and then I get very excited when I write the end so the middle of a book is of the writing process is the hardest part of the publishing process because I'm a traditionally published author I don't I don't independently publish my books so I have to depend on other people to do a lot of stuff and I have no way of controlling it so that can end up with a lot of disappointment and frustration. I don't have an agent right now because my agent, my last agent just decided to part ways with me. 
And I really had no say about it. It was just sort of like, I don't want to work with you anymore. So I was like, okay, that's not very helpful. But I mean, that's happened to me multiple times, even when I'm making money for, I was making money for this agent. So that's, it's just other people <laughs> is the answer. What's your question was, what's the most frustrating part or what's the hardest part? Other, other people, hell is other people. Because you're, when you're a traditionally published author, you're depending on so many other people to do their jobs. And if they don't do their jobs, the whole thing falls apart. So I do my job. I write a really good book. I know my books are good. I get good reviews. I win awards. My readers love them. That's all I can do, you know? And if no, if other people aren't doing their job, then the book is just going to sit there. And that's that's really quite frustrating. Out of curiosity, with all these challenges that come with traditional publishing, why did you choose to go the trad route as opposed to indie? Well, the thing is about independent publishing that nobody tells you is that you have to, it's a huge learning curve. And if I had the skills to market and get sales and make my book a bestseller, I think I would just get a job at a publishing company. Like I don't have those skills. Now I could learn them, but if I'm going to go through all the trouble of learning them, I'm I I think I would just try to get a job at a publishing company because then I would just get a salary and and you know holiday <laughs> pay and benefits and all that kind of stuff. So and the other thing that people don't tell you about independent publishing is that a lot of it is just a crapshoot. So the really popular independent publishers will say well, you know, I make this much money a month and I sell this many copies a month. And then you ask them, well, how do you do it? And they go, I don't know. Because I used to work with a lot of independent publishers because I used to do cover design. And some of them were enormously popular. And some of them wrote really good books that went nowhere. And I would ask them, I would ask the popular ones, how did you do it? And they'd say, I don't know. I don't know. So it's just a lot of it, a lot of it in independent publishing. People go, Oh, do an independent publishing because look, this one is so popular, so popular. But if you actually talk to that author, and I have talked to independent authors who are really popular and said, what did you do? They said nothing. It just happened. So, and that's different from traditional publishing because when a book is a popular book in traditional publishing, that is because the publisher made it that way. So, I mean, sometimes... A book will take off without publisher, you know, like a it'll be a viral hit or whatever without a publisher backing. But most of the time when a book is a traditionally published book and everyone's like, oh, my God, you got to read this book. It's so good. That's because the publisher has made it that way. And there, that's why there are some books out there that everyone's raving about and that are sound bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers. And then you pick it up and you read it and you go, really, this book? And that happens a lot. And then you go to the Goodreads reading reviews and you read some of the reviews and everybody's saying that. Everyone's like, why is this book so popular? It's not that good. Well, it's because the publisher has done this huge campaign for it. That's in traditional publishing. In independent publishing, sometimes it's just an accident. How long on average does it take you to write a novel? Oh, I love that question. Whenever I visit classrooms, the kids ask me that question. And my answer is anything from two weeks to the rest of your life. <laughs> You've also participated in like, I feel like this is a kind of related question. I'm going into it. You've participated in these like book prizes tours in the Canada Children's Book Week. 
what was it like for you to be able to meet the people who read your book and the audience that that book is meant for? Well, I love meeting school kids. A lot of times when I do these tours, nobody has read my book. So it's quite rare for me to go to a classroom where the kids are familiar with my book. I have gone to some classrooms where they've done Pandas on the East Side as a read-along. And occasionally when I go to high schools, one or two of the girls will come up to me at the end and then they'll be like, I read Audacious or whatever, or I read Zero Repeat Forever. And that's, but most of the time they have no idea who I am, <laughs> but they're usually kind of excited I show them my books and, and I, I have a slideshow and we do various things together. Sometimes we just do writing exercises together. So visiting classrooms is a little bit different than meeting your readers, I guess is what I'm saying. And I like doing both. I love meeting my readers. You know, if I go to book festivals and things like that, I meet my readers. Mostly I meet my readers online, but going to classrooms is a little different, but I do love it. I like going to the little classrooms where we can read my picture books and, you know, the kids are really excited about that because to me, that is like the moment that I discovered that George Lucas exists. So I'm going to the classroom and I'm reading a book to them and the teacher saying, this woman wrote this book. And they're like, oh, wow, people actually write books. Like they know what books are, but they don't know how books are made. And this is helping them to understand how books are made. And so I love that aspect about going to classrooms. What would you like to see more or less of in children's books? Oh, gosh. Obviously, more diversity, more body diversity, more racial and social and cultural diversity and gender diversity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that kind of goes without saying, I think. I've always said, you know, and I'm on the record saying this, that I think there should be more abortions in teen books. <laughs> which is crazy but you know when you think about it there's a lot of sex in teen books and, and there's a lot of books about unplanned pregnancies and in romance too and it's very rare that that happens the way that it does in the real world which is somebody has an unplanned pregnancy and then they just have a, an abortion and then they just get on with their life that's a very very common outcome and we don't see that in teen books so there's that. And then I'm an atheist. So I feel like all the characters in my books are openly atheist. In, in almost all my books, I have the characters say that they don't believe in God. I have a lot of colleagues who are Muslim and they want there to be more Muslim representation in books. And that's completely legitimate. And I feel the same way about atheism. I, I think it would be quite good if there was more openly atheist themed books and characters who were openly atheist and that it was discussed more. It's sort of just kind of in the background or they sort of assume if religion isn't, isn't discussed in a book, they assume that character. I don't know what people assume about it. I assume that they're atheists, but that's because I'm an atheist. So I don't know what other people assume if religion isn't discussed in a book. I think they assume probably that they're Christian. So that I would like to see that more of that in children's books. Yeah. Those two things. So honestly, this might be the most political question I've asked, but obviously with book banning, like sweeping North America right now, I'm going to, I think it's also an issue in Canada. I know it's an issue here in the US right now. As a writer who likes to write authentic stories, what are your thoughts on the best way to fight all of this censorship? 
I think it's really very, very important that the conversation about book banning is slightly adjusted so people understand that books aren't actually being banned. Because there is a difference about between challenging a book, which is what is actually happening, and banning a book. Books are very, very rarely banned. I, I, I can't think of a book that was actually banned in the last several decades. So here's the thing. My book, Zero Repeat Forever, is full of F-bombs. <laughs> and for that reason, I know and have been told that it has not been included on prize lists because the prize lists have to do with teenagers reading them and then judging them. So this was told to me personally. And I didn't take that. I wasn't upset about that. I was like, you know, that's on me. I filled my book with F-bombs. Um, I've been told that books that I've written are on a special shelf in school libraries because they're full of F-bombs. And I have been told that a parent complained about one of my children's books because there's a character in it that's a prostitute. And all of that to me, I, you know, I, I think that that's just a sign of a robust democracy. I think if parents are complaining about books that are in school, the problem that we're having is the reason that the parents are complaining, the reasons are stupid. That's the problem that we're having. So the parents are complaining because there's, you know, like this one of my favorite books is a graphic novel drama by Raina Tegelmeyer, and it has a gay kind of love story in it. So people complain about that, right? It's a cartoon. It's 100% innocent. It's a, the characters are 12 and one of them's crushing on the other and the other one's like, no, I like boys and it's completely innocent, right? So when parents complain about that, that's just stupid. You're being stupid. But if a, a parent complains that their 11-year-old is reading my book that's full of F-bombs, they, they have a point. I was fine. My daughter read my book when she was 11 before it was even published. And I swear like a sailor at home. So she's used to it. But if a parent doesn't want that, then they have a point. So I think it's really, really important that we kind of parse out this discussion about banning books and talk about like there's a difference between saying that a book that's full of swears is not suitable for a grade six classroom and saying a book that has a very innocent gay love crush basically in it is not suitable for a grade six classroom. And the other thing, the other stupid thing that people are banning books about is if it has any kind of content about you know, examining racism or the history of slavery or anything like that. And people are like, kids don't want to read that. Well, well, yes, they do. And, you know, like, that's a stupid reason to ban a book. So I get very frustrated with some of my colleagues when they are sad that their book has been challenged. And then it turns out that their book is full of swears and sex. Well, the, you wrote the book that way. So you're obviously not writing it for grade fives and six. So... You know, <laughs> the problem, I think, is that some people are writing books on themes of racism that also are full of swears, which is fair, because if you're in a situation where you're a victim of racism, you're going to swear, right? So that's totally legitimate. But it also is like, we have to think about, if you want books on this theme for kids of certain ages, then those books need to be written in a certain way that's appropriate for kids of those ages. And there, there, it is legitimate that there are 
certain things and certain ways of writing things for certain age groups. We're not giving grade sevens 50 shades of gray. So we know that we have to have start having this discussion, I think, in a little bit of a more mature way. Obviously, I'm against banning books, but books aren't being banned. They're they're being examined to see whether they're suitable for certain groups. And mostly they are. You know, as I said, most of the most of the reasons that the books are being challenged are really stupid. But it makes me laugh when I look at the list of the books that are being challenged. And it is this book drama, which I, I mentioned, which I really like. And then on the same list is A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mass, which is a great book, but it's really sexy. It's not for kids. Like I was embarrassed having that in my house when my daughter was 18. So, you know, I, I just, I can't even take the conversation seriously when I see that. We have to start being a little bit more serious in this conversation and stop being so dumb about it. Cause it's really, it, it's very frustrating for me to see a court of silver flames on a list. Does that mean that somebody found that in a high school library? What is a court of silver flames doing in a high school library? That's at the level that we're dealing with. So I don't even know what to think anymore. That is what I would love to know. Cause I've read that yeah. book and even the first three were were books I probably should not have been reading at age 12, but it's okay. Yeah. I gave A Court of Thorns and Roses to my daughter because uh, I read it and I gave it to her when she was 14 or whatever. And I said, it's pretty sexy, but you might like it, you know, but that doesn't mean that it belongs in a high school library. Any more than Fifty Shades of Grey does or most of Nora Roberts books or, you know, like... It's different than a public library, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a librarian, but I start to question their curation skills when I see A Court of Silver Flames on these lists of books that have been challenged. Because I'm like, what, what are you even doing? You're just asking for trouble at this point. And for a book that is not worth it, it's not worth fighting over A Court of Silver Flames. It would be different if it was The Hate You Give or something, right? But A Court of Silver Flames is not really worth starting a bun fight over. So, I, yeah, I honestly don't know. I just, I just want the conversation to be a little bit more nuanced, I guess, is my concluding remark. <laughs> All right, so Zoom's going to kick us out in eight minutes. So I will ask one more question. What is your advice for aspiring authors? My advice for aspiring authors, it really depends on where they are in their journey. You know, if you're really just starting, I advise you to start writing with short things that you can finish because one, that's the big challenge, right? Writing a novel is a Herculean effort. And a lot of people are like, I'm going to write a novel today, clickety, click, click, click. And they don't get past the first page because they don't realize how hard it is. So if that's where you are in your writing journey, if you're just starting out, I would advise you to start with short stories, with poetry, with picture books with just things that you can finish. If you're further along in your writing journey and you're struggling, I would advise you to think about whether you are a pantser or a plotter. Because a lot of people think that they're pantsers, which means that you write the book by the seat of your pants with no outline or anything. A lot of people think that they are and they're not. So if you, if you sit down and you start writing a book and you're not getting anywhere, then it's possible that you are more of a plotter. Then you need to go back and start learning about 
structure and storytelling structure. And there's a couple of books. The one that I recommend is Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody. So that's one. And then I have a workbook called The Novel Workbook for Messy Writers, which is literally a workbook that you actually write in. And if you fill it all out, you will have an outline to write your novel at the end of it. It's quite detailed. So that might be for people. But I think a lot of people just launch into writing a novel, not knowing anything about writing novels. And it's really important that you learn about storytelling structure and just how novels are written, basically. So that would be my advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Want to learn more? You can find her website linked in the description below. Also in the description, you can find a link to one of her young adult science fiction fantasy novels, Zero Repeat Forever. And that's all for this week. As always, thank you guys so much for listening in, and make sure to subscribe on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify.